0: morning we're going to be in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. And the last time the message was titled, We, Not Me. We, Not Me. And just talking about the team effort, the group effort, especially in the church, using our spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, going out into the world. Um, you know, it's not an individual participation. You know, it's, it's participation, which means there's got to be many of us involved. Uh, This morning, the message is titled, Characteristics of Christian Behavior. Now, we're only going to go through a few verses, but in Romans, I mean, gee, we're probably on our third section of carving up uh, chapter 12, there's just so much in it. But characteristics of Christian behavior, I mean, these are things that, you know, this is one of those times in the scripture where we have to really do a self-evaluation, because this... As we go through the scripture, it's something for all of us. You know, nobody's exempt from these guidelines or these uh, directives. And that's so, why it's so important to go to a church where the Bible is taught. Because the Bible is is the word. You know, it's our lifeblood. You know, it, it's in us. It, it's supposed to change us. And we're supposed to, and this is really good for new believers because new believers, they come up to receive Jesus and they're like, well, now what? So this is the what of the now what Uh, We're going to look at this in four parts. And before we jump in, as we've been doing every Sunday in Romans, really from Romans 1, speaking about how God does incredible work through nature. Again, how there was no electron microscope in Darwin's day. So he had a very uh, faulty and fallacious understanding of life and its simplicity. But we know that God's characteristics and his complexities are revealed through nature. So this morning, and we do it on the group Facebook wall, I ask people to maybe take a guess of what we're going to talk about. This morning we're going to talk about the spider. So I hear a few groans. I hope nobody's too squeamish. And I hope that after you watch this, you have a a healthier respect for the spider. There are 40,000 types of spiders throughout the world. That's a lot of different spiders. So what I'm going to do is, I hope that nobody... When they go to bed tonight, they start itching and squirming, but um, I just want you to appreciate God's creation. (laughs) So there's a lot of different characteristics of them, and and as many as there are, I'm just going to take a few of the really neat points over some of the spiders and present them to you. So let's start with their fangs. Their fangs, when they bite their prey, they emit a venom or inject a venom which has not only digestive properties digestive enzymes but also paralyzing agent and usually a uh, an insect with an exoskeleton after they bite the the whole inside of that insect becomes liquefied and then the bite the spider sucks it up as a goo <laughs> mm <Mm-mm>, mm good <laughs> the other thing about spiders is the females and we keep running into this are larger and stronger than the males So sometimes the males will catch prey and web it up and wrap it really nice, and he'll bring it to the female as a courting gift. Who sits around and watches these things? (laughs) But this is what happens, and better be nice on the first date. So the last thing about spiders, which I think is the most fascinating thing about them, is how they spin their webs, as you've been watching behind me. And the fact that they have all those, they have eight legs, uh, allows them to not literally get caught in their own web. And we get an expression, a colloquialism in our vernacular that says, don't get caught in your own web. Well, you might, and I might, but the spiders don't, because they're able to negotiate that web without sticking to it or get caught up up in it. Interesting thing about the the web is in their abdomen, they have what's called spinnerets, and they spin a, a silk protein, two different types of protein depending on the spider. This is the most amazing thing. The first one is not necessarily sticky, but those are their foundational cables. And they evaluate like an engineer their surroundings and decide where they're gonna shoot those cables, attach them to, and in the center, tie them together. Then what they do is they take a rest and they reevaluate, as you can see, they reevaluate what they're going to do and they take from another sack, which is the sticky sack, and then they start to weave that web sort of, I guess you could say, in concentric circles. The fascinating thing about their protein, or their silk protein, is that it has what's called tensile strength, which means that it can stretch and stretch and stretch without breaking. You know, a lot of our inventions today really came from watching nature. So here I'm going to put something unlikely or do a, a demonstration of something very unlikely, to um, exhibit what I think is really fascinating about the spider's web. When I used to go out on patrol, we used to wear these... These uh, This is a Kevlar vest. So this was taken from one of my my vests. And if you look at the, the fibers, the Kevlar fibers inside of them, you find that they come apart very easily, and you wonder, how could that stop a bullet? But depending on how it's, it's spun, right, and how it's uh, weaved and overlaid, it has this ability to catch a projectile and disperse it, the kinetic energy energy over the entire vest and all the fabric, thus causing it not to penetrate. The spiders, and they came first before the web, by the way, before the uh, bulletproof vest or bullet resistant. What the spiders have figured out, and of course God gave this to them and implanted it to them, is they do something similar. Because of the tensile strength of the web, uh, some of the larger webs can actually catch birds. I like birds, but some spiders eat birds, okay? Uh, And what happens is the the flying object hits it hard, and it disperses that kinetic energy throughout the web, and because of the tensile strength, it's able to stretch and catch it without breaking. Do you have a new appreciation for spiders this morning, I hope? It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? So that's the spider. (laughs) So we're going to move on to the scripture this morning, and we're going to jump into Romans 12, starting with verse 9. And it says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So in context, the first part is practicing true love, which should be practiced across the board, whether we're in church, whether we're out of church, wherever we are, this is a guiding principle about how we're supposed to love. So that's number one. Um, In context, we've been going through chapter 12, and we've been looking to see what our responsibilities are towards each other, uh, towards the church, uh, towards the the, the community. Uh, Eventually, actually next Sunday, we're going to talk about how we should treat those that wrong us. And that's going to be something that is not going to be sometimes easy to digest or swallow. And then the next Sunday, we're going to go to Romans 13, which is our responsibility towards human government. So it's pretty neat how God sets all these things up. But he says, let your love be. And this is so important because I love this because our culture, we say love, 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 and we kind of wear out the word. It's kind of lost its meaning. So Paul brings us back to what is true love, what is biblical love. Without hypocrisy, the Greek word is anupokritos, which has a root of masquerading, to answer or to act in a, in a masquerade or, a, or a, a play, something that's pretentious, something that's not sincere. And God is saying, let your love be with sincerity and without insincerity. Don't tell them you love them and then talk behind their back. You know, don't tell someone you love them and then try to destroy their reputation. True love also is more action-based than a choice than it is a feeling. Although love has feeling, a feeling component attached to it, uh, it is action-based than it is a choice. Feelings are fleeting and feelings can change, whereas the former happens regardless of feeling. Go back to the marriage vows, and I've done plenty of weddings over the years, you know, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, in riches or in poverty, right? Inversity, adversity, or prosperity. And this is what you try to tell the couple that's coming together, that sometimes marriage is going to be difficult, you know, to love when you don't like it or you don't feel like it. Many a married couple, somebody's been married for more than a few years, there's going to be times where they love each other and they still do things as a spouse should do uh, as far as caring or whatever, but they don't particularly like the person at that moment. And, And let's just be honest right love has to transcend whether you like that person today or the argument that you had and you know this is this is important stuff let's let's look at what the bible says first corinthians 13 about this this higher order of love or what's called agape love first corinthians 13 starting with verse 4 love is patient love is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself it is not puffed up So you can see a component there to one spouse, you know, maybe taking the lion's share of attention or the needs or uh, whatever the case may be, and it's not being distributed across. And and this is not just for husbands and wives. This is, you know, siblings, parents with children, children to their parents. I mean, love is love, right? And it has to transcend any relationship. Five, it says it doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's other-centered, right? It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Six, love does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. And that's important too today, because people in some peer groups, they almost gather peers based on that they all agree with each other. They're all in the same echo chamber. You know, if you have a good friend and you're doing something wrong, a good friend will say to you, hey, you're, you're headed in the wrong direction, and you might not feel good about that friend's counsel, but that friend is loving you. Right? Everybody getting together and slapping each other on the back and agreeing with each other no matter what, that's not love. Because it says love seeks the truth. Right? Truth. What is truth? Pilate asked that to Jesus. Truth is found in God's word. Sometimes accountability is love. Uh, I posted a sermon by Pastor Alistair Begg. How many of you are familiar with Alistair Begg? A lot of you? (laughs) Everybody loves his Scottish accent. But boy, when he brings it, that guy can bring it. And I guess, and I'm paraphrasing, I guess there was an issue about uh, the church and things that were going on in the church. And some would even say, well, I don't even know if the pastor is truly loving us. He doesn't come to certain events. And he made the statement. He goes, you know, when I stop loving you, when I stop preparing to teach you the word on Sunday morning, when I stop teaching you, when I stop being diligent to prepare my sermons, he goes, then you'll know I don't love you anymore. So sometimes people unreasonably are, are looking for, um, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to come to this. But love transcends just type of surface things, as, as he says in his message. Um, I would say this, love me by telling me the truth. right? Love me by remembering me in your prayers, and I'll do the same for you. What does Jesus say about loving him? Does it mean to always have these expressions of I love Jesus, I love Jesus? Well, that's well and good, but is there something beyond that? Is there a background? Is there a foundation to that? If we look at John 14, turn with me to John 14, Jesus takes all of his followers or anyone who's ever had an experience with him or a consideration of him, And he makes this incredible statement. He puts people into two categories in the world, those that love him and those that don't. Well, what's the criteria? Well, let's read the criteria. Jesus said, he answered and said, "'If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, "'and my Father will love him, "'and we will come to him and make our home with him. "'He who does not love me does not keep my words, "'and the word which you hear is not mine, "'but the Father's who sent me.'" So Jesus makes it very clear that to actually love him is to follow his word. But the question is, how can we follow his word if we don't know his word? That's why the word of God, you, Pastor Joe, and if one thing you can say about me over 15 years of being a pastor, is that I just, I'm just i always on that point, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Why? Because even Jesus says himself, if you think you have a relationship with him, it has to be based on on the word and obedience to the word. Now it doesn't mean that we don't fail. We fail probably daily. But this is the standard, very important. He says, "Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good." What is evil and what is good? Well, Isaiah 5:20 spoke of a day where and this happens in societies. If you follow any society, new societies, um, sadly enough even the children of Israel, right? It's all in the Old Testament. Eventually, they became very decadent. They started uh, receiving and practicing the ways of their pagan neighbors. You look at Greek culture, you look at Roman culture, you just see before an empire falls, it's incredible decadence. And today, if you look at American culture, sometimes people don't know what's up and what's down. Isaiah says that evil will be called good and good will be called evil, and that's what we're seeing today in our culture. So, Pastor Joe, what is evil and what is good? well if you 're truly a born again believer the holy spirit 's discernment will will tick you off, tip you off when something 's not right, but also it has to match what the word says again, we go back to the foundation, the template which is god 's word. so abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Uh, today, the world is going towards secular humanism, uh, a lot of groups today, a lot of even political groups are starting to uh, be wearied from Christianity. They don't want Christianity involved. They don't want those Bible-believing Christians, part of their group, to convict them or to say, you know what, this is wrong. This wouldn't please God. So we're seeing in our culture, and a lot in our institutions, in, our, in academia, you got kids going to college, talk to them, because you don't know what they're learning. I mean, I went to Rutgers, um, gee, 30 years ago, and there were some wacky pr- professors there, and I didn't know the Lord. So I kind of went, went with winds of doctrine. Eventually, thank God, God saved me. But they can be very convincing if they're giving a one-sided story. You know, what we like to do in this church is we like to do a lot of debate. We do it during our question and answers in different venues here. You know, what does God's word say? Test his word to see if it's true. Test his word to see if it's accurate. These things are very important. Verse 10, continuing on, Romans... He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. So two out of four is practicing affection or practicing warmth, kindly affectionate. That's a compound word in the Greek, which is philostorgas, which comes from phileo, which is a brotherly type of love, and storge, which is more of a family biological family this is a combination word to mean kindly affectionate to have the love of of the choice of you know duty of of you know commitment but to now take a component of warmth and bring it to it right that warmth to it um you know love is not supposed to be stoic and cold so to be kindly affectionate with brotherly love it's almost like um Actually, the word in Greek is Philadelphia. <laughs> so, um, some of you probably better in history. Uh, whoever named Philadelphia in Pennsylvania had this in mind. I don't know where it is now. I haven't been there in a while. But Philadelphia is that brotherly type of affection. And I would say this that on a personal note, I don't get cold and critical Christians. I don't get that. I don't understand. If you're a student of the Word, if you are a believer, how, do you, how are you cold to people? How are you haughty? How do you look down your nose at others? I don't get it. So that's why it's so important that every church, regardless of denomination, use the Word of God. Because sometimes a person may be sitting in a pew and think to themselves, you know what? That is me a little bit. Why am I like that? You know, can I change? Maybe I'll, I'll pray about that tonight. That's what the Word is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to help us to change and, and be closer to that standard that God wants, right? So you see, this is the the warmth that goes with you know with with the love there. Now, I've seen, you know, when you first get saved, you see a lot of Jesus movies. I probably saw all the Jesus movies. I could never connect with the stoic Jesus. You know, he just was he had no emotions. He just walked from place to place. There was one guy who did, um, who did uh, an interpretation of Jesus, and he just smiled a lot. He hugged people, like when he would raise, you know, when raise the the person who couldn't, the lame person, and get them to their feet, like they rejoiced. I just gravitate. I don't know what his mannerisms were like when he was on the earth, but um, I'm have no doubt that people knew that he loved them. You know what I'm saying? So. That, that's the kind of, you know, that, that's God. His, there's sometimes that he just kind of gives us a hug in life. You know, something happens and we're going through a hard time and either a person knows what you're dealing with or you go into the church and they say something from the pulpit. I have no idea. It's your situation and you just walk out of here saying, you know what, that was for me. Sometimes it's 10 people in, in the same service because God loves us, you know, just like the song. You know, he's even in our times of trial, he's there with us. It's a really great thing. He says he continues in honor, giving preference to one another, basically showing that we value others and that we show deference to one another. Sometimes you can see that play out at the food line at a church event, right? So is, is a bunch of people running to be first, or it's like, just cool, you know, it's all oh, that person they, they went ahead of me. Jesus said the last will be first, the first will be last. So believe me, at the potluck, I'm I'm not going to be looking, I'm not going to be making any observations, I'm just saying, these are practical ways that the scripture plays out, and sometimes people say to me, well, pastor, that was a great sermon, but how practically, and that's, that's what I try to do up here, so the food line, right, whatever, whatever you do when you leave here, do you show deference to one another, holding the door, or racing to get to the door before that other family, so that you can, you know, get your reservations first, um, it's just, it's just the way to live. It really is. Uh, so, I mean, you, you could be the type of person that is, comes to the church and is always asking for prayer and advice and help and all those things, and those are good. But do you ever return the blessing to others? We have somebody in this church. I'm glad she came. Uh, she had come to me, as many, other, many do, and said, you know, this church helped me when I, was, I had hard times. I want you to find some people that need help because I want to I wanna return the blessing. And that's the, that's the cool thing about what we are as Christians. There's actually a worldly term, and it's, it's, I don't say worldly in a bad way, but it was, you know, it was coined by somebody. You ever hear the term pay it forward? Some people pay it forward before they even get blessed. Like they just, It just makes them feel good to help other people. You see what I'm saying? So this is the, the Bible said it first. But it's it's a good term. Pay it forward. Uh, the me first or I'm the best attitude needs to die a natural death when we become believers. You know that's part of the flesh that we struggle with at times because our flesh wants me first, me, me. Does anybody see me? Wouldn't it be interesting if God gave us the ability? At I don't know at some point in life to almost. He doesn't. <laughs> but to, to walk in literally a mile in somebody else's shoes, to kind of be them for a day and see their experiences, right? But we're so self-centered because we only know me. From the day I was born in 1967, I've only known my struggles. Now, I know other people's struggles, but it takes an act of the will and the suppression of my own flesh to come out of my own problems and to see other people's problems. So you see how this works in a church? And I'll say this as well. If we're going to go to the world, and a lot of people want to do this, bring salvation to the world, bring Jesus to the world. Well, first of all, we should be getting it right in our own families as best we can. And we should certainly be getting it right in the body of Christ. Why export it if it's not a good product? Make the product good first before you go and export it. So this is, all, this is, this is amazing stuff. And I say it, and I, I'm excited, and I say it over and over again because I didn't write it. This is, these are God's words. Of course it's amazing. You know, even distractions in the church. I mean, do we come into church to try to make a splash? Do we come into church and the focus is always on us, and it's not on, you know, we're not considering others. We're always coming in and, and the fanfare, and sometimes the drama surrounds us. Distractions, Right? so that other people can't pay attention and other people can't be blessed. Again, practical applications. Verse 11, it says, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So three, not lagging in diligence, alternate translation, is not lazy in how we work and how we serve. You know, how do we serve? Do we do it because we have joy? You know, When God speaks about tithing in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, giving, He basically says that God desires a cheerful attitude. God doesn't need our money. So the thing is, if we're going to be grudging about giving, then we shouldn't give. That's my paraphrase. You know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to grudgingly and to set a bad example and an attitude when we, at least, especially when we serve Him. You know, and and it's even tougher when we go out into the world. Would people know that there's something special about us when we serve our bosses? when we go into the secular world there are peer groups you know is there something that maybe they can't put their finger on but you're different because you're not trying to cut corners you're not trying to cheat the system you're not trying to cheat your boss i mean no but especially when it comes to serving the lord we need not to be lazy you know it's otherwise don't do it he says well i'll continue you know you ever you ever deal with somebody who is doing something for you, but they, you can tell that they don't want to do it for you. You, can, you know, it's, we, we give off, I don't know what they are. People say vibes. But we can give off a, with our facial expressions, with our body language, a way that others know that we really, we really don't want to help them. We're just going through the motions. That whole, the whole men's retreat was about not going through the motions. Right? I would just say, if somebody did that for me, and I have said, it, you know what, don't bother, I'm good. I, I, I don't need it. That's just me. I'm that guy. But our attitudes are very important. How do we conduct ourselves in our daily lives? Stuff isn't easy, is it? When Jesus spoke at the Sermon on... You know, I hear people say this all the time. Oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. But do you live the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, Jesus. Oh, the Apostle Paul. Right, but are you listening to what they're saying? To be in love with their character and their personality is great, but the words are timeless for a reason. You see what I'm saying? He says, fervent in the Spirit. Fervent can be translated, I like to go into my Greek lexicon, boiling, glowing, or hot. Now, it's very important that I say this. Are we like this every minute of every day? Of course not. Because every day is a struggle between giving the Spirit first place or giving the flesh first place. Sometimes we do really good and we give the Spirit deference and sometimes we become very me-centered. So this isn't something that happens. It's not in my life. Every second of every day, I have to repent to my attitude at times. So I'm just being real with you. But this is the standard. Why did Jesus say when they were talking about prayer and he was teaching about prayer, Jesus said, you would think that the disciples might think, well, James and John wanted to be on Jesus's right hand and left hand. Maybe some of the other disciples might think, you know, have this retirement plan. I don't know. But Jesus said, when all the ideas, all the possibilities, even today, all the possibilities, things that we could pray for, Jesus said, he goes right to the Holy Spirit. He goes, as much as you ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give you. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Material things kind of went out the window. To be in God's will, to be in, in fellowship, to be in communion with him. That's why Jesus said, ask. You know? and, and there's times that I have to say to myself, when's the last time I asked for more of the Holy Spirit? And I want to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Even in our prayer life, it's a struggle with our flesh. We can start out with the wish list. God, I need that, I need this, can you fix that? My foot hurts, you know. We can go through the, the Santa Claus list and f- totally forget about thanking him and about asking him, Lord, what do you want? Isn't that something? In prayer, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? You know, What's your purpose for my life? Good stuff here. Fervent in the spirit. Verse 12, continuing on. He says, rejoicing in hope... Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And this is where I'm going to end for the morning. A lot of good stuff here, don't want to rush it. So four out of four is the big picture. Now, I'm not going to do this in order, and I'll I'll explain to you why. It's not necessary, as long as we cover all the points. Let's start with this. Hospitality. Hospitality literally means, it's another compound word, it means lover of strangers, lover of guests. You know, when Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan, that guy, you know, you ever, this this dude gets robbed, I mean, literally, there's a crime that's committed on him. And the Samaritan's going by, and he could have just been, I don't want to get involved with that. He went over to the guy, he doesn't know if he's dead or alive, he ministers to him, he, he probably had somewhere to go, but he completely diverts his course to help the stranger, instead of just leaving him on the road to whatever, die. And that was a very powerful uh, parable that Jesus taught, right? about who to love. And, and unfortunately, the culture at the time, and, and we can do it today, we can decide who's the most important in our lives. Yeah, was it, blood is thicker than water, like all these expressions, family, and just get caught up in worldly ideas that are not reflected in scripture. Here, this, when we read the Good Samaritan, all of us should be, including me, should be convicted. You know, how do I see the world? How do I see strangers? Jesus told that parable for a reason. Much of the scripture is convicting. <laughs> so if you're from a church where there's a lot of fanfare and there's very little of the word, this could be culture shock to you. But this is the way it's supposed to be done. Right? Is to to go through the word, to absorb it, to apply it to our lives. It's our necessary food spiritually. He says given to hospitality. Given meaning to pursue it. To pursue it. Not have a blasé at- attitude towards it, but to you know, Lord, you give me an opportunity to help somebody. You know, some, a lot of times when my wife and I are out, we, there's, always, there's oftentimes a situation where we, we get to interact with a stranger. And, you know, sometimes they blow us off because <laughs> they're not interested. And sometimes it bears fruit. But God knows. God gives the increase. The fact is that, you know, when I, when I go out into the world in my mind, I'm always thinking of a, an, an interaction where I can share Jesus with somebody. It doesn't happen a lot. I'm not going to lie about what I do and make it seem like it's so great and you should follow me, but, but the, the heart is there. It's sometimes God opens the doors, sometimes the doors aren't open. So to love people that aren't in our family, in our biological family, or even our friends from church, right, to pursue strangers. Now, I would say as the the police officer in me from years ago, just be careful, especially the ladies, right? Just be really careful because it's a dangerous world out there, but I think you know where the scripture's going with this. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Um, How can we help anybody outside of the church if we're not helping our own? And you guys know, you know, the food for the soul, right? I say from the pulpit, If you're in this church and you have need, well, certainly, this isn't just for people in Jamesburg or the surrounding area, it's for you too. Do you need food? Do you need diapers? Do you need clothing? Distributing to the needs of the saint. We we certainly should be caring for our church family. Um, We say this all the time. Whatever event it is, I'll purposely say there's no fee attached to it. And if it's something where we go to an outside event, like a men's retreat, what do we always say? If you can't afford it, please see us. We'll help you out. We'll do it discreetly. We'll help you, right? The, the needs of the saints, the church family, very, very important thing. Um, I saved the last three for last. Attitude, mindset, and behavior. He says this, rejoicing in hope. Joyful about what God is going to do in the future. Now, this is, a lot of people are optimistic, and optimism is cool, I try to be optimistic, but is optimism based on just, well, I don't want to be bitter and I I want to change how I feel and people kind of go through these mental gymnastics. So I I want to be an optimist. Cool. But what's the optimism based on? (laughs) Because when you go out into this world, it's a pretty crummy place. When you read the scripture, we rejoice in hope, right? We know that God has promises for us. We know that God has promises for the world, we know that there's things that we don't see that he's doing behind the scenes. I read that article, or I, I referenced the article a few Sundays ago about the fastest-growing church in the world is in Iran, a very suppressive uh, government against Christianity. But the church is, is, is expanding. It's incredible. So to me, that gives me hope. God didn't forget the world. If we watch the news and we try to eisegete it into scripture, we're gonna be depressed. Because remember, the news, 90% of the, this is a fact, 90% of the media is owned by corporations and they have agendas to keep viewers watching so the more the sensationalism, the better. Um, I, I covered Hotel California by the Eagles and just talked about how they, how some worldly songs, and you read the lyrics, talk about how decadent these institutions are uh, Don Henley wrote a song years ago called, called Dirty Laundry, and that's about the media. So here's a guy who's, who's a celebrity writing about the media's insatiable ability to find horrible things and say, well, this is all that goes on in the world. That's a problem, because God is doing work that the media doesn't cover. I've been talking about the persecuted church. I've been talking about the fastest, the fast-growing churches in Iran and other places for years, Finally, the mainstream media picked it up, and it was only one station. It was only one outlet. So we don't need the media to validate what God is doing. God is doing it regardless of whether they're going to report it or not. Rejoicing in hope, people. If you're walking around depressed from watching too much news, stop watching the news. Get more into the Bible, because that's where the hope is found. So that's the foundation, God's goodness, God's promises. That's why we have that hope. Patient in tribulation, why does it say this? Because God knows human nature. What do we want to happen once a a trial hits us, tribulation? What do we want? We want it to go away. The first hour that it happens to me, especially if it's something physical, I'm like, I got things to do. And right away, I think I want it to go away. (laughs) But that doesn't always happen. So God asks us to be patient in tribulation. Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? What he did is is a fact. It just hasn't completely manifested itself yet. So we're to be patient in tribulation. Because one day we're going to be in the kingdom, and anything that bothered us, anything that we struggled with, is it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Good stuff to look at. Patience goes with hope. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. When I was in a denomination, I didn't want to pray because, you know it's funny? I would sometimes talk to God. I didn't know God. And I would, I would sometimes talk to God. I, I definitely, I wasn't born again. And I would just, every once in a while, have a conversation with him, usually when I was in trouble. So like I said, I didn't know God. But when I went to church, their version of prayer was, me having to memorize some intricate prayers and repeating them over and over again. You know what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel? He says, don't do that. Heathens do that. Jesus is like, talk to me. Don't keep repeating stuff. (laughs) It's me, right? The same relationship he gave you with your loved ones, he wants that from you and nothing less. So to be steadfastly in prayer, and and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm very transparent. So if you're looking for the perfect pastor, I apologize you don't have to come back because that isn't any of us here that come up to this pulpit he's weird he's telling people to leave when a bunch of others are saying you gotta come you gotta come listen what are you looking for what do you seek I don't pray for hours on end I'll forget stuff so like I'll be like all right I'm just, I, gotta, I gotta look at the clock. I still got 45 minutes I don't do that but most of the time during, out, during the day a lot of times I'm driving in a car I just start talking to the Lord I go take a walk with my dog. I start talking to the Lord. My dog doesn't know any different. It's cool. Um, so my neighbors probably think I'm nutty. I don't know. But the bottom line is, it's that we don't stop praying, even when we're in trials. You know, I've prayed, and to be honest with you, I've prayed to the Lord. I've, I've said, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it right now, Lord. I'm, I'm struggling, and I struggle through my prayers, but that's a good thing. Because, what, I'm just going to pray to God when things are good? I mean, if we're going to give our spouse the marriage vows, we should at least give our best to the Lord in good times and in bad, where to, to pray, where to seek him. And, and I've heard this, and it's sad, and it breaks my heart. I don't say it as a pejorative. Um, I haven't seen somebody in a while in church, and I see them out at a stop and shop or something. Oh, I'm really going through something. So you cut everybody off. <laughs> you stop coming to church. You stop fellowship. And I, I say it in a nicer way than that. But I try to encourage them to come back you know, and I, I hear it a lot. That's the devil. What he tries to do is it's like that stray gazelle. The lioness doesn't, doesn't go right into the pack. They got horns. The, the lioness waits till one's a straggler, and she goes, that's the one I'm going after, and she takes it down and kills it. That's what Satan does. He's, he's a lion on the prowl, the Bible says, seeking to who he might devour. It's pretty, pretty serious stuff. So steadfastly in prayer, being in fellowship, being in communion, you know, being in worship, that's what's going to give us the best strength to get through those difficult times. Amen? Amen? All right. So the sermon is titled, Characteristics of Christian Behavior. Some of this is to the world. Some of this is to others in the church. Some of this is, is our own behavior towards God. You know, when, when we all leave church today... None of us know what the other ones are doing unless you're really close. You have a a whole 167 hours outside of church for the rest of the week before you come back on Sunday. But this is for you to take home in your heart this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. These are principles. I still remember what he said. I still remember what it says in the word you know i'm going to try to practice these things and apply them and you see what type of blessings that you have when you do it the lord's way so characteristics of christian behavior behavior i say this a lot always follows belief behavior follows belief romans 12:1 through 2 tells it, the sermon was titled body and mind you know, Before we get into the government, before we get into other believers, before we get into the world, people that wronged us, right in Romans 12, 1 through 2 God is telling us how we're supposed to be body and mind towards him. That's that foundation. And all the other stuff will, will come easier, at least, if that's right. So we read God's word. Why? We pray. Why? Because the pastor said so? No. We don't do it as a punishment. And I've seen that, and that bothers me, you know? Uh, Shouldn't be associated with anything negative. This is the lifeblood of our spiritual growth and health, praying and the Word of God. This is how we carry out directives in Scripture and have the ability to do it with joy. Because at the end of the day, folks, what I read this morning in God's Word is, God knows best for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we... We love you. We love your word. And, uh, Lord, we...